0: Hello, everyone it's Paul and it's Chloe and this is the goodness pays leadership podcast
1: we believe that goodness is a successful strategy for good leadership our purpose is to spark positivity and what's possible thinking in leaders like you so you can radiate goodness today and every day
0: I'm Paul bots the founder and CEO of good leadership enterprises our mission is to spread goodness because we believe goodness pays I make my living as an author executive coach and professional speaker This podcast is being recorded in the Aspiration Suite of our offices in Minneapolis, Minnesota.
1: And I'm Chloe Radcliffe. I'm a writer, communications consultant, and speaker coach in the Twin Cities. And I've been working with Paul for the last three years and doing a lot of writing with him. Mm -hmm. You can find more about this podcast and Good Leadership Enterprises at goodleadership.com and check us out at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn. You can subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and our website at goodleadership.com. And, as always, we invite you to leave ratings, reviews, and comments.
0: Today, we are continuing our conversations about the book that we're launching this summer called How Goodness Pays. This is our third in a series of five podcasts, sharing the inside story about what we've been working on for the last three and a half years.
1: You'll notice that this is not a featured speaker from our Good Leadership Breakfast. We do those eight times a year, but this episode is about sharing our experience in actually writing this book, the good, the bad, and the sublime. (laughs) Feel free to pause this episode and jump back a couple episodes if you haven't listened to the why already to understand more of the why of this project.
0: So I should probably explain what the Goodness Pays book project is all about. Three and a half years ago, when Paul Hillen was the chief marketing officer at Cargill, he and I fantasized about creating a research project to prove how goodness pays in leadership. That led to interviews with 15 highly successful leaders and involving 900 other leaders in online surveys. And now we're just about two months, two or three months away from releasing what I believe will be the signature book for my firm. It's really exciting. And joining us is
1: Sean McDonnell, Paul Botts' writing coach and the editor for this project. Sean, can you say hello and share a little about your background?
2: Sure. Thanks, Paul and Chloe. Thanks for having me here today. So my background, I've known Paul actually going on 20 years and uh, in various client capacities, and we're also former colleagues. Uh, my background in public relations and communications goes back actually over 25 years, and helping clients in everything from professional services, such as Paul's firm, to healthcare to uh, finance and technology. Uh, In my part-time, when I'm not advising clients like Paul on how to tell their stories more effectively, I'm actually a part-time firefighter for my suburban Minneapolis community.
0: That's something we could probably podcast about just that subject alone. I want to hear more. (laughs) So, Sean, so how many books have you and I worked on together now? Is it maybe four or five or more?
2: Uh, It's it's about that. So we've had, I think, a good thing going, and really looking forward to seeing how goodness pays come out.
0: Yeah. So this book probably makes all those other books like a piece of cake. It's probably time to get into that story. Okay.
1: Okay, so you two carried the heavy load on this book writing project, so I'm going to interview you today. Let's start with you, Sean. Uh, Paul described you as his writing coach. What does a writing coach do?
2: Sure. So a writing coach, it's situational depending on the author, of course, but in most cases, it's a twofold process. It's looking out both for the interests and needs of the author, of course, but it's also, equally importantly, if not more, uh, looking out for the interests of the reader and uh, making sure that their needs and interests are met, or else, frankly, the book won't sell, people won't be interested, and it won't be a successful endeavor. So in Paul's case, um, Paul himself is an accomplished writer and author. He's uh, published in multiple venues. He's got a regular blog that he produces. So uh, in Paul's situation, he doesn't necessarily need nuts and bolts, uh, hands-on editing, like some people might. Uh, But he also... um, Just needs someone, I think, to be a sounding board, to be an encouraging source, uh, to challenge him occasionally, and uh, push back when perhaps he is a little overzealous. As we all know, I think Paul is a master of many, many ideas. So I think it's just channeling those ideas and getting them pointed in the right direction.
1: Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So, uh, Paul, that's Sean's perspective on why you know what his role is as a writing coach for you. But he did he mentioned that you're an accomplished writer in your own right. You've written a blog every Tuesday for, is it nine years? And you've done, you've gotten articles in multiple publications and you've got other books. So from your perspective, why does such an accomplished and experienced writer need a writing coach?
0: Well, it goes back to my relationship that I have with one of my mentors, whose name is Richard Leiter. He's an international bestselling author and sort of the world's most uh, um, foremost authority on the power of purpose. And he helped me understand that if I wanted to be successful as a writer in any capacity, I had to have three things. The first thing I had to have was a writing practice, which was a regular set of deadlines, which is why I've been blogging every week for such a long time. The other thing he said that I needed was a coach, and a coach that wouldn't tell me, not so much an encouraging coach, but a coach that would read through the perspective of the reader and you know tell me when I was writing things that were good, that needed refinement, but also to tell me when I was writing crap. And, you know, the third thing was then the ability to to be um, intellectually honest about the difference between the good stuff and the crap. And so, um, Sean, he's uh, he's helping me with that a little bit.
1: So, Sean, have you told Paul that he writes crap? Well, uh, not so <laughs> Or <much>. any crap? <laughs>
2: not uh, all. <laughs> not, not specifically using that word, but uh, actually trying to do so in an encouraging and constructive way to help him see the path forward, which uh, Paul is actually very good at. Uh, once you give him a sense of direction, he's very good at executing.
0: Well, yeah, sometimes that direction comes in the terms of, what are you trying to say here? What are you trying to say here? What are you trying to say here? Specifically, I'm thinking about my fascination with this concept called shared commitments that a guy named... David Meister created. And uh, I wrote about something that was very vivid to me. It works fantastic in a speaking environment, but every time I write about my story of how we selected the, the kickball partners on the fifth grade playground, you look at me and say, what? What's the point here? That means we'll be that's, that's, uh, that's crap.
2: It, it just depends on the context. Yeah, okay.
0: Um, Paul,
1: you have told me that you get a ton of requests for people saying, from people saying, can I buy you a coffee and then you tell me how to write a book. <laughs> is, that, is that true? You get that a lot? Yes, a lot. What are the most common questions that people ask?
0: Oh, the simple ones are like, how do you get started? Um, how do you know if it's any good? Um, who pays for your book? Um, but what's fascinating is no one ever really asks the real questions, which is, you know, what is your message? Who is your audience? And how do you actually sell books to make it worth the effort?
1: Sure. Okay, so I heard six questions in there. Can we tick through all six of those pretty fast? Uh,
0: Sure. Okay, so number one, how do you get started? First of all, you have to have an idea, and you have to have enough courage to be able to write it out in a couple of sentences and then a couple of paragraphs and send it to somebody like Sean, my writing coach, and say, what do you think here? And uh, if the idea isn't any good, it doesn't go anywhere. So that's... (laughs) Absolutely. Sean, any thoughts on how you get started?
2: Well, no, I completely agree with Paul that you really need a sense of drive and purpose to uh, push through th- these things. I get asked myself too, how do I get going as an author? I've worked on other book projects with other people. And the uh, commonality of those who are successful, such as Paul, is really that uh, impetus to really see a project through.
0: Sure. Well, hmm. and that kind of goes to the next question, how do you know if it's any good and, and how who pays for it. Um, No one's going to pay for your writing unless it's good. And you have to have the courage to be able to ship it to a whole bunch of people. Say, what do you think of this? (laughs) And sometimes they send back saying, I don't get it at all. But other times they do. And you say, well, who would you think would be interested? And they say, I'm interested. Or I think this would be a great book for CEOs or whatever. And so, But I think having the courage to be open, to let other people critique your stuff is probably the most important skill that writers have.
1: Yeah. How do you, um, do you have a way let me ask this differently. Do you have an internal compass that tells you whether an idea is good or whether even the writing that you're producing is good?
0: So it goes back to how I described how I make a living. I spend equal amounts of time writing, coaching, and speaking. And as a coach and as a speaker, you know when things that you say connect and create a spark. And I just got really good at writing those things down in the margins of my (laughs) notebook.
1: Oh, that's and cool. And
0: when I know we talked about something that was transformational and maybe something new for me before my day is done, I will always take that thing and put it onto my weekly organizing sheet as to something that I need to put into a blog or to explore for more fully. And I think that's the benefit of Richard Leidard saying to me, you need a writing practice because mm-hmm. I'm never more than a week away from being able to express something that happened that I knew how I created a spark.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you are really relying on that instantaneous feedback of other people being in the room when you're germinating that idea, speaking, coaching, whatever that
2: mm-hmm. is. That's cool.
0: Yeah. Cause there's virtually no instantaneous feedback when you're staring into your Microsoft Word document no. writing <laughs> something out, you no, know, you just never know.
2: No, I, I hear that too as a coach where it's it's imperative, I think, to be able to be a, that sounding board and that uh, source of uh, enrichment and nourishment to the author as they go forward. I mean, you think of the Beatles, Paul McCartney and John Lennon were a huge uh, collaborative team. They needed one another to be sounding boards for one another to get to the status that they, they did. Once they went solo, they weren't quite as successful as they were when they were a collaborative team.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Sean, uh, so, okay, so I think we've pretty much covered the first three, uh, the questions that you get asked, Paul. How do you start? How do you know if you're any good? Who pays? Sean, do you have anything else that you want to add to how do you know if you're any good or who pays?
2: Uh, Sure. Well, um, you know, one thing Paul and I have talked about, a mutual friend of ours, Brian Freeman, who for the last 10 plus years has been a best-selling thriller author who lives actually right here in the Twin Cities, Uh, he gets asked that all the time because he travels around the world promoting his books. And his response is, you know, look, I'm a 20-year, quote-unquote, overnight sensation. I've been working on this for 20 years. The secret to actually writing a book, any book, to get going is actually just to sit your butt down in a chair every day religiously, like Paul has done too, um, and bang out copy for an hour or two and just stick to it. It might be your first draft, might be crap as Paul said, or it could be pearls of wisdom. But either way, you just gotta keep sticking with it as uh, Brian has done and now Paul has done too.
0: Cool. One thing that helps that is knowing your audience, which is something people never ask. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah, okay, so these are the questions that you were saying people don't ask but they should be asking. I'm gonna remind listeners of those three questions. My notes say, uh, how do you determine your message How do you determine
0: your audience? And then how do you actually sell the book? Awesome. So our message without a doubt is that goodness pays. And we understand that we have to offer it up in different language, in different situational settings, and with different techniques to sort of penetrate the psyche of our audience, which really is business leaders. Yeah. And uh, business leaders are different than other people in a way that they really do measure the success of their leadership with financial return. And so this idea that goodness, Pays is a plural concept. Goodness is something we learn about from our grandmothers. The way we think about it is that it's that condition where people actually thrive together. And you put that with pays. And for us, there's a lot of ways to measure goodness, but the way that business leaders measure is financial. Yeah. So we are not backing away from the idea that we're writing to business leaders about this idea of goodness and that it will pay for you.
1: So what I just heard is is really an answer to the second question, to the how do you determine your audience and then how do you target your audience? And I, I heard you say that you've got to figure out how to do it in multiple ways, you know, take through multiple channels, multiple angles, and figure out what matters to them. What is their bottom line? In this case, it's a literal bottom line, but what is the thing that will tip the scales for whoever your audience is? Um, how? And, and we heard your message about, th- th- that the message of this book is that goodness pays. How did you... Isolate that message. You know, how do you determine what the actual core crystallized center of your book is.
0: Well, that came from the discussion that we just had earlier with uh, Paul Hillen about why did we do this project? Um, He had a personal transformation in style. I literally described him as a bag of hammers (laughs) when I first worked with him as an executive coach. and He went through a personal transformation process, decided to invest in the lives of his people, both personally and professionally, and had a personal renaissance that resulted in some spectacular results as a leader, financial results. And he and I became fast friends and really started working on this. And I've learned through my both my coaching and speaking that you know, sometimes I have to reach people through metaphor, bag of hammers. Sometimes I have to reach people through stories about how other people transformed and r- realized better results. And sometimes it just comes from coaching tips And so that's one of the things that Sean really helped me with. He helped me embrace the idea that I coach most of my time. And writing out coaching tips in two sentences or less is really actually quite interesting reading to people. And so a combination of all three of those, metaphor, stories, and coaching tips, is really how, frankly, we sell books. People understand that when they see the Good Leadership Press label, which we started for the purpose of distributing these books, is that they're going to get stories. They're going to get insight, but they're going to get real go do this kind of tips. And that's our strategy.
1: Yeah. So that's how you make the book attractive. Do you have more sort of uh, nitty gritty perspectives on how to actually sell the books?
0: Yes, uh, we do. Um, we think, uh, we, we sell them in bulk. We find people who are interested and we ask them how they can help us, you know, spread the message inside their own organization. We obviously sell books through our good leadership breakfast series. We sell books through speaking and over time books sort of capture their own momentum if they're good, which is why you have to be very careful in the, in the early stages to write things that we know people are going to want to read. So yeah, we could do a whole nother podcast about how to sell books. That would be fun. Sure.
2: Paul, the last book you and I collaborated on, the seven Fs, uh, where are we for sales right now? Yeah,
0: what really works? We're almost at 30,000 since we started that wow. one. And, you know, as an independent author, we we self-publish. Those are really big numbers. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Um, Sean, what stuck out to you as you were shaping Paul through the message and shaping Paul uh, and shaping then Paul's writing to be attractive to the audience?
2: Sure. Well, you know, I talked before about uh, paul is a master of ideas and mm-hmm. has many ideas that he wishes to um, channel so i think it was a matter of funneling his ideas and funneling uh some of his uh most significant coaching insights uh, relative to uh, goodness and leadership and putting them in ways that resonated with readers i mentioned before too my interest is in looking out for the interests of the reader Um, So, for instance, one key piece that we landed on in the book early on is the perspective of the uh, context that the readers are in, that we're all in, frankly, right now, which is a really challenging um, environment of of different factions and groups of people who are at odds with one another. Um, We call it in the book dark noise. And that dark noise, um, unfortunately, threatens to engulf all of us if we allow it to happen. In the sense that um, you know, you turn on a news station, or um, you know, flip the radio on, or even pick up a newspaper, and you're just constantly bombarded with uh, negative news. Mm-hmm. So, um, this book, in a real literal sense, offers a sense of hope and inspiration and purpose to workers because they're going into their offices and seeking a oasis, if you will, in their workplace from all that dark noise. Yeah. Um, but Beyond that, this isn't just a feel-good book. It's far from that. It offers some very practical, salient, pragmatic tips on how to get there. And as Paul just said, um, we've been able to show that there's actually a bottom-line benefit to taking that approach.
1: Yeah. Okay, I want to ask both of you, what was the hardest part of this process?
0: Well, let me. I think I can start this conversation. I'm curious about you. Um, I've never worked on a project that lasted three and a half years.
1: Without wrapping. But, yeah, you without mean,
0: wrapping. I mean, I I think maybe the longest project I ever worked on before was maybe six months.
1: Wow. Yeah. And That's I. That's a big jump. I,
0: yeah. I completely misunderstood how long it was going to take to do a credible world class research project. I completely misunderstood how difficult it was going to be to get so many partners to work together. So, um, you know, research partner and Jerry Miola, Paul Hillen being the sponsor and a co author. Sean was involved, you were involved, Chloe, and many, many, many other people. In addition to that, both Paul Hillen and um, Jerry Miola changed jobs during the middle of this project. And so, I mean, that for me is the biggest thing. I have a couple other things
2: I'm thinking about. How about you, Sean? Sure. Well, you know, keep in mind there are a lot of moving parts to this book. I mean, there was a quantitative survey of over 900 business executives from around the country. Uh, there were qualitative interviews with uh, 18 um, champions of good leadership, just top-tier executives, uh, CEOs, and former CEOs of companies who, frankly, it takes a while to get on their schedule to begin with to be able to conduct the interview. And um, then once you do the interview, it's it's, uh, really a matter of following up and, and making sure that we've got the salient points from the interview. Then it's collaborating two different authors, two very, very different authors, and getting their perspective on the book. And uh, it's just a lot of pieces to put together.
1: Yeah. How do you manage that? So you as the writing coach, uh, and and I want to be clear for our listeners that, Sean, you're not talking about you as one of the other authors. You're talking about Paul Botts and Paul Hillen. Correct. um, And that you are the writing coach on the whole project. So how do you manage two different voices, two different perspectives? You know, I'm sure there were, Paul, I'm sure there were times when you and Hillen disagreed.
0: Well, he's a bag of hammers, and I'm the ultimate optimist.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, so it's it's uh, a challenge, but it's a, an intriguing challenge. You know, I think it's like putting a big puzzle together, and, you know, maybe there's a lot of uh, blue sky pieces to the puzzle that you don't immediately see how in the world are these things going to fit together? But you, man, you just stick to it. And through talking to the authors and uh, really pouring into, say, the research, you eventually start to put all the pieces together and the Happy part is we're we're seeing the finish line. We're really really close to having this book ready. Well, I
0: think I can be even more specific about that. So in the initial research, we learned that four out of five business leaders actually believe goodness pays. That remaining twenty percent, that one of the five, are split between not sure and no. They don't believe it it pays. And so there's a skeptical point of view or a um a point of view that needs to be honored in how we went about this. Because sometimes when you say things like you have to build commitment so that profits profitability is a concept that's healthy for everyone, there are some people who scoff at that and say, No way. And so we have to embrace that with but I think we found out early on that maybe we were probably honoring the skeptic too much in this and we're getting our own selves stuck about how much we really believed in our concept. So We've gone back and forth, and we, we got unstuck by also taking on one of our original manuscripts and shipping it out to about a dozen people, including Brian Freeman, who you mentioned earlier, saying, what do you think about this? Yeah.
1: Okay, so that actually, to, you mentioned something that I see uh, showing up in one of your earlier answers. So the fact that the project took three and a half years, and you said you know, it, it, you underestimated the time that it takes for this kind of world-class research project, but was that time... Um, was it that you got stuck and weren't making progress for a long period of time, or was it that you uh, went back and forth on different decisions? you know you, you what what took that long in the creative process?
0: We got stuck. yeah, it's a hard subject. Um,
2: yeah, yes, I, I could jump in. I mean one fundamental thing that we had to answer and resolve was just uh, defining goodness for the sure. book um, in the context of a business situation. And the feedback we got from people outside uh, that Paul just mentioned, um, again, reiterated, you really have to do a masterful job of defining goodness as it applies in this book. And I think we've landed on a definition and a support and buttressing of why goodness pays and how it pays that uh, is really intriguing and uh, is going to be useful for our uh, readers.
1: Cool. Paul, how do you... How do you get unstuck? How do you decide when something is just done? How do you make those decisions to to re motivate progress?
0: So Sean brought this up earlier. I have a lot of ideas. <clears throat> I pursue a lot of paths. And for me, when I get the way I get unstuck is to just cut stuff out that I've written. Sure. I have to emotionally let things go. Is that, that hard? Yeah, it is. But it always feels great when you do it. And. Uh, there were a couple of times when i was looking at um well for instance doing when um, we had over 400 pages of interview transcripts and i went literally went and rented a hotel room in another city locked myself in to highlight 400 pages to find out what did i think was the most powerful stuff i thought it was all powerful we put it into a spreadsheet we sorted it out and there was so much that i got stuck so I had to go back through and say, okay, what what is only slightly powerful? Yeah. <laughs> and tear it all out. And once I started condensing it to got to the stuff that was by far the best, then there was new energy for it. So I probably repeated that process a dozen dozen times over the last year and a half.
1: Even just with the research? Or you mean with all elements of the with book?
0: all elements with things that we've written today? Some of the chapters now have a word count that's probably two or three thousand words less than the last draft. Wow. Yeah. I mean, you just have to cut. Wow. You have to cut, and that's what makes it interesting to read. Does it
1: then grow again? You know, I'm sort of picturing a a plant, you Mm -hmm. know. Pruning. Pruning, Mm -hmm. and then it actually grows thicker and fuller. It flowers more. One would hope so. (laughs)
0: Have you had that experience? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. That's where we're at right now. It's exciting.
1: Cool. Well, Paul, will you describe the actual production? Like, how does the book go from... once once you've got the idea and you've sat your butt in the seat and you've got a Word document, how does it go from a Word document to something that we actually get to hold in our hands and enjoy?
0: Yeah, so after the negotiating and wrestling, you actually end up with a transcript that you like. And so you have to send it to a technical editor. Well, first, the the real editor will make sure that there's continuity from page 1 through page 200. Then the technical editor will do what your uh, 8th grade uh, grammar school teacher does and fix all the punctuation and usually um, send you back a tick list with a whole bunch of holes that you have to fill. I remember the first book I wrote when Sean did the editor role, I had 79 things on my tick list when I thought I was done. Yeah, so that process never gets uh, (laughs) – you never get used to that. Uh, And
1: are those holes like – this sentence doesn't make sense, or is it like this whole idea doesn't make
0: sense? Uh, The the idea part has been fixed by then, but it will say, you know, fix this sentence. And sometimes that's easy, and sometimes that's not.
1: Right. This is like getting your paper back in college, and your professor has written awkward next to a line. It's
0: it's exactly the same thing, only the stakes are higher. Yeah. Yeah. Um, So then once you finally like it, and everybody likes it, you send it off to a designer who helps you. Uh, take a look at what kind of book you want to write and usually we've taken we've gone out and collected books off the shelf that we that we admire that we want our book to be like and then it comes back and you get a chance to look at it and might mean just look at it do I like how this looks and once you do that then uh, eventually you get to a a finished um, document that we approve and then we send it off to a printer. And the printer um, usually takes uh, six to eight weeks from the time you send it off. Usually you get a proof back in the middle. And at that point, it's kind of like waiting for Christmas Mm -hmm. (laughs) or waiting for a birthday or your child to come. Are you you that excited or are you also nervous? Heck yeah, there's no question about that. No question, it's incredibly exciting. There's absolutely nothing like opening that first box and pulling the first copy mm-hmm. out. I've kept every first copy of every book that I've ever written. Wow. It's uh, There's nothing like it. Oh, I didn't yeah, know it's that. Very, but there's, there are hundreds of people that touch these projects. Yeah. Beyond the researchers and the interviewers, just everybody who touches it, it's really quite a manufacturing process.
1: Yeah. So have you reached the point of excitement yet? Have you reached... Or are you still enough in the middle of it that you're still in the work phase?
0: There's a lot of work to do, but it's very exciting. Yeah. And now it, it, it's very clear what this book is about, um, who we're speaking to, what kind of advice we're giving.
2: Yeah, the, the gratifying part, I think, is not just, as Paul just talked about, taking it out of the box and seeing the finished product, uh, but knowing or at least hoping or anticipating what the um, end result will be of people consuming the book, which uh, we hope and believe will be uh, a lot of more enriched and emboldened readers who will uh, take what they've learned about applying goodness in their leadership and actually do it. And, uh, you know, for you, Paul, that's got to be a uh, a win-win.
0: Yeah, without a doubt. And uh, for us, the alignment of what we're writing and speaking and coaching about every single day, to see that come alive in a book that's going to probably be the signature book for what we're doing going forward. It's uh, it's it's hard not to get excited about that. Well, let me just ask you, Chloe, You, I asked you to do this interview because you've also been a part of this writing team here. Mm-hmm. We've often thrown things that we were stuck on to you saying, as a relatively naive reader here, right. what do you see here? So, you know, maybe as we Um, head towards a close on this podcast, you can tell us, you know, what are you excited about? What did you learn about? What did you like about being involved in this? And maybe anticipate, what do you think other people are going to like about it?
1: Um, I think it's a really, I I mean, so I'm going to sort of answer the last question first. I think what people are going to like about it, I'm so excited for people to have a comprehensive roadmap toward the message of your firm of good leadership enterprises. You know, this is the kind of like you hand them one book or we hand I hand them, Sean hands them, whatever. We hand them one book and it has the premise of goodness pays and the premise of good leadership. It has the research to back that up. And then it has these five really clear steps or or you know leadership characteristics that people can read whichever chapter they need to or read all five and then reread what is most compelling to them. And they can challenge themselves and be intellectually honest because it's a book and nobody's asking, you know, right? They're by themselves in their in their living room. They they don't have to talk to a coach about this. They really just can be honest with themselves. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that is – I think it's very cool to have this signature piece that encapsulates the message of good leadership enterprises. Um, I – one thing that I have really enjoyed in the process, because I have, I, I, I've sort of come in, I'll come in on the tail end of some chunk, mm-hmm. um, and whether that's literally a chunk of content of writing or a chunk of the project, you know, where you, you have done all the ideating, you two have done all the ideating you, that you can in the moment, and then I come in and say, uh, what about this other thing that, of course, you know, it's it's easy to just get too close to a, to a project um, and that you sort of need that outside perspective to shake it up. And I have really, this, ha, this has really reinforced to me the power of narrative, the power of storytelling, that even in a business book, even when we're talking about research, we're still fundamentally telling a story. And that telling a story is actually still fundamentally being persuasive in the same way that presenting research is being persuasive. So that's been really cool to to have that reinforced.
0: Yeah, good. Thank you. Well, an important part of our podcasting strategy here is to provide actionable insights, sort of the carpe diem takeaways, um, that we we want to make sure that people find these both as a listener and that as those of us who are participating in the podcast um, can share. So uh, let me start with you, Sean. In the process of preparing for this podcast and being a part of the Goodness Pays book, what do you think is the, the actionable insight that you're going to take away from Knowing what you know about this project,
2: you know it's it's uh, something that Hillen talks about in the book, which is um, you know he uh, specifically writes in the book that he reminds himself every day of advice that he got from you, Paul, as his um, executive coach uh, about the need and necessity to apply goodness in your leadership. Whether you're officially designated a leader at your job or you have a team or not, you are a leader in your own right. Other people are looking to you and it could even be also in your family, of course, too. Um, And we all get caught up in the day-to-day muck and uh, demands of our time. Um, But I think it's always important to have that North Star, if you will, of applying goodness in all of your leadership practices, and just keep that front and center and foremost in your thinking every day.
0: Yeah, good. Chloe, what'd you take away?
1: Um, for me, it is—it's it, reflected. A, it is reflected in the book, but it's more of a meta observation. And it's actually really related to the conversation that we've had, which is that when you feel stuck, you are not actually stuck. You or you might actually be stuck in that moment, but there is a way to get unstuck. Whether it's you're just too close and you bring in an outside perspective, whether it's you cut something, whether it's you look at the you know the five leadership characteristics and say, okay, which one of these five am I actually falling? If I'm honest with myself, which one am I actually not doing a good job of being? Um, th- that has been really powerful for me.
0: So for me, not only does goodness pay. But uh, I learned the power of persistence. There was just so many moments where we could have decided, oh, well, there's another way to send this message. But Sean and I, we'd get back on the phone and we'd reassess and then we'd cut some things and we'd start over again. And, and here we are, sort of poised to see this project really come to life. Um, it's also completely obvious that during between the time we started this project and are ending this project, I wrote one other book <laughs> in the middle of this Partly because we had to, but also because I think I needed to get my confidence back as a writer because this one was so difficult for a while. And maybe the final thing is that, I'll say it again, nothing significant ever happens alone. On the content side of this book, I counted more than 50 people who've touched this thing. That's before wow. the production people even touch wow. it. Wow, there's and two so, authors,
1: two authors on the front cover, but 50 people. Have yeah,
0: and and so it it's you know I think I'm very proud of what I think the production of this project is actually good leadership being modeled. That we had to keep people focused on what are we trying to do. We had to overcome a whole bunch of ambiguity, some chaos, some serious obstacles. But you know here we are, so it's pretty cool.
2: Uh, but I, I should say once. Um Well, for instance, the 18 uh, CEOs and other executives who were interviewed, once they found out about this project and they were interviewed and asked and had the opportunity to talk about it, they were truly jazzed and excited. And in fact, once this book comes out, I fully expect that they will be among the top evangelists for this book. Um, One thing that we did up front was research this book and its topic in contrast with all other business leadership books, of which there are many. And frankly, there is no other book like this out there on the shelf right now, which I think will be um, very um, uh, appealing to the uh, buying public.
0: Yeah, well, thank you. So we always end this podcast by stating the obvious, which is the what we really believe. So, Chloe, what is that? Goodness pays. How about you, Sean?
2: Goodness pays. Yeah,
0: absolutely. And, and in this particular case, it's how goodness pays. Well, um, thank you very much for investing your precious time, whether it's exercising or during your commute or maybe even laying in the sun or maybe flying on an airplane to someplace. Um, As I said in the beginning of this podcast, our future episodes will go deeper into the Goodness Pays book project, and we will continue to also present the speakers from the Good Leadership Breakfast later this fall. So uh, thank you very much. We really appreciate you investing the time, and we hope to see you soon.